Blog Talk Radio.
my first one was a slap in the wrist, and I thought I don't, I still, I don't have a problem. And um, I, I had issues before, but I never thought I had a problem. Even going into detox, I didn't think I had a problem. I thought that the problem was coming to me, not I had a problem. You know, like mm-hmm. all these things that um, I, I couldn't admit to. Well, it came the time when <laughs> I realized that, you know, things were leaving my life, and I was uh, I, I was hurting myself. And it was a symptom of the problem. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to understand that was one thing and trying to listen because of um, the the mood issues and the depression. Now, I'm not trying to make excuses, you know. And when alcohol is, is mixed in, I think that obviously there's something there, you know, when when you have to use that to feel better or to feel like you can talk to people or mm-hmm. be um on top of the you know on the ball. So, um I don't know if if I'm I hope I'm going in chronological order. I'm not sure but I I that's that's where I'm at. <laughs> so, I want to say um it's been 5 years of, you know, this up and down battle and um today I can say that I admit to having um, you know, the disease of alcoholism, and I am practicing recovering, but at the same time, I still have those moments of when I am sober versus when I'm um, sober but not practicing recovery, if that makes can, any sense. Oh, it makes perfect <laughs> it per- makes perfect sense to me, Raquel. I can identify with a lot. I mean, the, one of the things that we find is a really common thread when we talk to people, and and. We have mostly women guests on the show, but in particular I find in, in quote-unquote real life I find this also. I mean, the self-medicating over things like depression or anxiety um, are, are really common, and it can be very difficult for us to pull it apart and kind of realize that, you know, it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing. I, You know, am I depressed because I'm drinking? Am I drinking because I'm depressed? I mean, it's it's they they really come hand in hand, and it can be very difficult to get sober because, you know, we can put the drink down and we can stop drinking, but then the underlying mental health issues that we may have are, are still with us. And so it can take Absolutely. some time to find new coping mechanisms to not just stay sober, but also help us address some of the other issues that we might struggle with. And um, so I can certainly identify with that. And, and do you have any comments about how, um, you know, after you got sober, dealing with things like depression, or are there are there tools and things that you used as a part of that? When we can no longer anesthetize ourselves with alcohol, what sorts of things do you do? Um, I have to say that once I was able to trust in the process of learning to reach out, even if I didn't feel comfortable because whatever I was feeling I couldn't trust because that was the part of me that knew. I did know that whatever was negative, you know, it's like... um, okay, I don't want to reach out because I think this person is trying to somehow manipulate or be something else other than helping me, you know. And Mm -hmm. and I had those weird voices. So I just, I said, the other part of me decided, I tried this before, it's not working, so just, you know, do it. Just pick up the phone and be vulnerable. Yeah. (laughs) Stop trying to control how you are going to get help. And just accept the help and accept that others are going through what you have been through. Maybe worse, maybe not as worse, but all I know is in the recovery community, 
that there's so many people out there in the same boat. I mean, it, it's it's plain as can can be because of um, the group we're in, and um, you know, just being in meetings. And I have been in IOP, and and I I'm very well aware that people don't get help just to get attention. Yeah, <laughs> like I thought I was doing. Yeah. Oh, there's so um, many voices that come into our heads. They might tell us we're not worthy of the help. They might tell us that you know we're, you know we're, we're exposing ourselves. We're making right. ourselves vulnerable. Sometimes women worry, or mothers worry that maybe they could lose their kids. I mean, there's all kinds of voices that come in. But there is that moment when we do finally reach out for help, and there's so many people who say, "Oh, me too." I mean, that's a real. That was a real turning point for me. When I heard somebody else share my exact story, and here I was thinking I was the only one on the planet suffering as much as I was. And um, so, when you did finally decide to reach out for help, like what sorts of things did you do? Did you know somebody in recovery? Did you go to the internet? I did. And try I, I actually, um, the internet has been the biggest thing for me. I I, I have to be honest that um, the face to face thing I could do for five minutes, and then I start to feel that disconnect. Because for like the chemistry, I don't know what it is, um, but being on um, online and finding this recovery group, it was amazing. Because it, it, you know, even if I just scroll down, you pick up certain words, and then you see the faces with it, and you think, you know, I, I'm the same way, and mm-hmm. um, and it's it's almost like it's not as in your face, I guess, or the <laughs> well, you know, it is, I've, yeah. <laughs> I know that's that's so. I mean, it, it, for example, like my boyfriend, I met online, and he is amazing. He's the he's so good to me, and because of the, the time spent and also um, learning about my vulnerability, okay, mm-hmm. um, being with someone one on one and having to communicate face to face. I realize it's a very difficult thing for me because I grew up with you don't communicate your feelings. We don't talk yeah. about negative feelings, you know, and you've got to pretend if if something's wrong, you have to pretend everything's okay. Yeah, we and, call that the, um, the fine family. We grew up in the fine family. Everything's fine. Everything's good. <laughs> Bad feelings right. are not to be spoken about. <laughs> right. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I, I I used to think that, you know, only psychos were online, you know, trying to get that next fix. But, boy, no, 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 actually it's been total opposite, and I find a huge amount of support doing that. It, it's a click of, you know, it's just being able to type out instead of talk out, which has mm-hmm. helped me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's the right way. I don't know, um, but it does help so much. I've seen a huge improvement within myself just by being a part of this group. So. Well, I think that, I mean, one of the things that we endeavored to do in the Bubble Hour and through the nonprofit Shining Strong, I mean, I think that the Internet is a really powerful medium to get people's stories out there and that people, you know, we, we've joked about this on the show before, people just don't go skipping into their first recovery meeting trying to say, hey, I wonder what <laughs> this is all about. This just doesn't happen for the most part. Either they're there because they have to be or they're there um, or they're trying to find any reason not to be there. 
And so, right. from, but the safety of a screen, you can reach those points of identification with people that you don't have to be face-to-face with. You don't have to worry about running to them in the grocery store next week. You don't have to, I mean, I, you know, one of the things we could talk about is the, the stigma of alcoholism. I mean, it's a, it's a big part of, I think, people's vulnerability in deciding whether or not to step forward and ask for help because, you know, it can feel risky to say to somebody that you need help because of a problem with alcohol, and you can practice that skill of being honest and using your voice and telling your truths online. I mean, safely, you have to judge the community as you see fit. But, um, I mean, I think it sort of it lays the groundwork or kind of greases the skids for eventually developing a community in real life or having the courage to walk into a recovery meeting and, and expect and trust that the people there are going to understand how you feel because you've witnessed that already online, you know, that you can yeah. sort of practice that language with Absolutely. other people. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, in in real life, too, has been a huge help, but I don't want to admit it. <laughs> because, <laughs> it, it, honestly, because, well, because, number one, I wasn't able to drive to where I was supposed to be or where I needed to be. So that was another vulnerability in itself because I had to reach out and ask for rides. Mm-hmm. Or get a cab and show up, you know, in a cab, and and I, I'm I'm constantly embarrassed of yeah. what what this disease has led me to, and I take personal responsibility, but at the same time, I do understand that's the nature of the disease, and um, you know, that's hard to grasp. That was hard yeah. to grasp to begin with. In 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 the beginning, it felt like oh, well, I can use this as an excuse, but then you find out later as you're going through it and if you continue the same way, then you realize that it's it's a terrible excuse. And, you know, I'm learning you, I have to take responsibility now. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the only way to get better. And that's what's, again, with vulnerability. That's, I think for me, that's been the hardest thing is realizing really- how, how 100% real this is and how much it can mess you up if you don't take action in, in you know, helping yourself to get the recovery. I think I think that we all experience a, a kind of a, a a between area, a bridge between pretty much understanding that we have a problem and that we're probably going to need help, but then at least for me there were sort of all these mental contortions I went through to try to control it on my Absolutely. own. And we hear people, I'll only drink wine or I'll only drink beer or I'll only drink mm-hmm. on the weekends or oh, only yeah. when I'm with somebody or only... I mean, I, I think it's very, very common for human nature in general, but we're talking about alcoholism here, to right. really exhaust all of our personal resources before we're really willing to say, I can't do this on my own. Um, and for me, I mean, I've relapsed and had to come back, and that was another challenge for me to be able to say, you know, not only did I drink, but I also knew better because I had all this recovery and the disease still got me, and to be yeah. it's almost like a double admission of shame and vulnerability because coming back from a relapse is a different experience than coming in for the first time when you don't know what you don't know. Um, and that, you know, there's all sorts of layers of, I don't, I don't know, mental conversations I had around that too. Like somehow now I'm the worst alcoholic that ever lived and I don't deserve to come back and I can't. Exactly. It's the comparing. Yeah, and I've also lost my license and I, I've experienced the humbling effect of having to ask for rides and it's been a blessing and a curse because it forces me to ask people for help. I mean, whether it's a ride to the meeting or a doctor's appointment at the grocery store or somebody can pick up my kids oh, yeah. and take them to their practice. I mean, everybody, I have to ask for help for everything. It's like, yeah, and, you know. and see, just hearing that out loud, what you just said, like, it is 
I, I, I'm sorry to say, but that's a relief to me. Because Isn't it? The, it's a comfort. It yeah. is. It's like, wow, I am, I'm not the only one that was stupid enough to do. And I'm not saying you're stupid. I'm sorry. Not not anything like that. But no, I get I'm it. so hard on myself. You know, and we get hard on ourselves when we have to ask for help. And that's where within, you know, lies the problem of not asking for help because we get involved in our, well, for me, I got involved in my pride and, you know, I was spending so much money on cabs when I could have easily just asked, you know, somebody for a ride down the street or. Oh, yeah. um, (laughs) And and that's a huge, that's another thing is the financial aspect, you know. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big financial hit. I just wanted to say me too, <laughs> and I didn't have oh, my good. license for 17 months, and it, you know, it is. It's really hard asking for help, and um, actually, I'm 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 curious too because I had um, a, technically I've been arrested three times, but um, I got off the second time, and mm-hmm. I was curious. You, you mentioned that you know it was finally the second time that you realized that you needed to get some help. Um, mm-hmm. What made you, or how did you go about doing that, um, about getting help or even coming to that decision? Because, like I said, being arrested, I look back now and being arrested the second time, that should have been when I asked for help, and I didn't. Right. I had absolutely no intention of stopping drinking, and I, <laughs> and it was, you know, I put myself through another year and a half of hell. Um, because, you know, just yeah. kind of proving that I was okay. And, right. Um, it, yeah, well, that's it. That's it. You want to prove to everybody that you got this and I you're got not, this. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you're not as bad off as everybody thinks you are. Well, for me, that's what I kept wanting to prove. Um, so when uh-huh. I got my second DUI, number one, I didn't want to spend 80 days in jail which is probably not the smartest thing to be in the reason for why I thought I needed help, but it's a, it was a big um, it was a big motivation. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And then as as I did go take. into it is yeah, and, and and as I did get go into treatment, I went into um, they they call this treatment where where I went outside uh, you know to meetings after the fact that's been dry. Um, because mm-hmm. this this place that I went to for 28 days was going to meetings three times a day. And 28 days, you know, three times a day meetings, you essentially realize that, okay, yeah, um, I need to be here and maybe, um, maybe I need to work on this. But honestly, when I got out of there, I didn't know what to, what to do with myself. I didn't know how, I didn't, even though I thought I had the tools and I thought I knew to say no to when I craved, no, it wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it, I fell right back into it. And I got a phone call that I, I owed all this money and, I, and it was, and it ended up being fraud. Mm. Um, I wasn't, it was something that I, um, I got a loan, a cash loan. And anyway, um, that, that all that's all it took. All it took yeah. was for me to feel under that pressure, to feel like, oh my God, you know, I don't have it together, and I was in jail for this long, and it was like the poor me, like me, 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 poor thing. The only way I knew to get out of it was to escape. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
I, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's kind of, it's, it's in the middle because I knew I had a problem, but I also was still in denial about it. Yeah. Um, it took up until the point where every day I would just ask my higher power, please take away this desire. And if you have to ask that question every morning that you wake up, in hindsight, you might have a problem. You know, and mm-hmm. and so I, just a matter of having to do that every day, and then some days I didn't want to do it, but it was in the back of my head, so it's there. That's when, you know, things started to shift, and I started to see the destruction. So yeah. it, it took, you know, my license being taken away. Um, I don't have my kids full time, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm very 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 sorry about that. And that's something I I struggle with every day. You know, and it's yeah. harder now because of the fact that I know what caused it, and I know that um, you know having this, um, you know, just I hate I, you know I just just having this disease and and knowing that you can help it and that you there's tools for it, but at the same time you have to struggle and fight with yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm exhausting everybody right now. <laughs> <laughs> Not well, at all. It's a, I'm it's totally a, exhausting myself. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work. It really is, and it's you know I I um had similar experiences after my relapse in the DUI and and uh, going right into treatment, but not being sure if I'd have access to my kids again. And you know I I think part of what I needed to learn to do I don't know if this is something you can identify with, but I I had to learn how to sit with those feelings. Like I always tried to find some way to escape anything from as simple as boredom to like unbelievable shame that oh my god now I have child children's services in my life and I've got you know who is this woman this is not who I pictured myself being so anything from boredom to shame I would just even if I wasn't drinking I would work too much or exercise too much or you know run around like a nut I would do anything to avoid sitting in discomfort emotional discomfort and oh yeah sometimes I think that these things these consequences that happened to me you know, we say this on the show a lot too. They're like a turd gift. It's a gift you don't want, but that inside of that hard work is something. You know, I was for. I couldn't drive around like a nut. I didn't have my kids to distract me. I didn't have anything but myself to focus on. And of mm-hmm. course, I hated it. I hated every second of it, especially in the beginning, because I was always trying to avoid me. I mean, what better way to escape from yourself than a drink? But when Absolutely. all of that is finally removed and finally taken away from me. It's you know it's I've described it as sort of like you know I took a bomb and I blew up my life and I'm sitting there and you know amongst the shrapnel of everything that that you know that was my life that defined who I am but the the silver tiny silver lining and all of that is I got to pick up the pieces and start to put it together in a healthier way but unless I unless the whole thing was blown to pieces I I was just going to continue to try to push forward on this kind of shaky foundation. Because who wants to do that kind of work unless we absolutely have to? But right. once we do, I mean, it's it's really, really hard, and it is exhausting. And there are days when I'm so tired of having to sort of really think about all the things relating to my recovery and to cleaning up the wreckage. But every single day that I do it is a day that I don't have to do again. You know, it's a it's a very incremental. Yeah, and and and, and it, well, like the first time that. I actually went to detox, and this was before my first DUI. I went. I took myself to detox because I spent um, a few days at Fashion Week, um, you know, and, and it was a very high stress job. 
and I saw a lot of stuff going on, and and I I just wanted to be a part of that rock star mentality. (laughs) And when I got home (laughs) from that and got to work, I was, like, shaking, and I had all the withdrawal symptoms, so I checked Mm -hmm. myself in. But once I did that, you know, they I thought, oh, I'll just I'll I'll go ahead and you know get clean from this and then go back and you, it's it's beyond anything you can even grasp because I knew I needed help, but at the same time I wanted to be able to continue the way I was going. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's, war. it's yeah, the constant pride thing. I I don't I don't know what to call it, but um, it was uh. It was definitely um, when I realized that denial plays a huge part, you know, a huge role in also um, keeping you from getting better. One of the things that I love that you said, Raquel, is when you, how you describe getting up every morning and asking a higher power or, you know, the universe or whatever mm-hmm. it is that people choose to, to, to talk to or pray to, something that's not us, that's larger than us, that, you know, despite whether or not we drink or don't drink, that just the practice of getting up every day and getting outside yourself and saying, you know, please help lift this obsession to drink from me. I think that's a big part of chipping away at the denial that we have because I've been in that place where I know I'm an alcoholic, but I still find ways to keep drinking. I mean, yeah, the disease, it's like, so scary. sneaks in a little back it's door scary. somewhere. Yeah, it's it is so scary. scary. And, it, it, yep. it, you know, that feeling, it's so overwhelming. And when you know not to do what you shouldn't do, but you end up two seconds later yeah. doing that and being disappointed in yourself and that disappointment, you know, it just, it, it snowballs. It does. It does. And it, it can be a feeling where you think it's never, I mean, because when we're stuck in that place, it, it feels sort of hopeless and you definitely feel powerless and you feel like it's never going to get better. But when I, I, I sort of want to get back to it, you mentioned something, you know, you got a phone call about a financial issue and that's all it took in terms of a trigger, you know, when we're yeah. triggered now in recovery, how is it that you, like, what What would you do differently today if you got a phone call with something that would trigger you? What sorts of things would you turn um, to first, instead? First, um, I would breathe heavily and know that you don't have to take care of it that moment just because someone, you know, hammers you. And, and this person ended up being a fraud. I mean, it, it, it ended up blowing into you. I spent the, the money that I thought I was paying somebody back into somebody else, and, and that's a whole other we can have a whole other line on that, but mm-hmm. um, I I was under the impression that I was a bad person because I spent time in jail. I was bad, and this person knew, mm-hmm. you know, they they knew that I. So, in I think it's a cross between the terror of what what we put ourselves through if it gets that bad in this disease, and. Um, knowing how to cope with it was just to escape. So today I would say that I would take a minute because that's all you need. (laughs) Just take a minute, breathe. You don't have to take care of it right at that moment. You know, Mm -hmm. call somebody that you trust. Um, You know, just write it down or or say, well, this is happening, you know, I can do this. And if if you're not in your own rational mind, there's somebody out there that you can call I know, I know there is, even if you don't think there is, there's somebody out there and you can say, hey, this is going on and um, I need you to help me to not make the wrong decision or, and that's what I love about the recovery groups because even if it's, 
you know, in a, a very personal thing that there's always somebody out there that understands what you're going through. There is. And and even if they, even if the person you call isn't go, has never been through the same thing, at least they can give you a sound mind and say, well, okay, we're both in recovery. We know that we overreact and we know we want to, you know, um, take care of the issue right away, but that's, you you can take care of it, but you don't have to drink over it like I thought that I had right. to. Even right. though I was in a place where I, you know, every day I heard that for umpteen hours. But that's from the amount of, um, you know, times that I used alcohol as my medicine of choice. Mm-hmm. That's all I knew. And I was only in, reco- you know, in a place of recovery for 28 days. We're talking 10 years before that. So, yeah. It's, um, <laughs> And I, takes I, a and while. I also, yeah, in, in hindsight, I think oh, I should have forgiven myself instead of being so terribly hard on myself and making it worse and hiding and being ashamed to tell anybody what I did, you know. Yeah, yeah. I have t- I have two thoughts about that, too. I mean, I think that there's one of the things that I saw start to happen to me. I mean, it took me a, a year and a half of increasing emotional relapse before I actually drank. And one of the things that started really early on was I don't need to call anybody because I know what she's going to tell me. I can give myself the same advice that somebody else would give me. They're going to tell (laughs) me to go to a meeting. They're going to tell me to pray. They're going to tell me to let it go, to turn it over, to blah, blah, blah. And so I can tell myself those things. I don't really need anybody else's help. But there's something so different about saying it out loud, you know, that problem shared is a problem cut in half mentality of even if that person can't fix it, you're outing yourself. You're talking, you're just, you're getting it out of my head, which is the problem. My thinking is the problem. And so oh, yeah. by getting away from that practice, I was steadily heading towards a drink without even consciously understanding that. And I also believe that the addiction voice that we have, I mean, you've touched upon this, that sort of tug of war of the two voices in your head, one that's a recovery voice and one that's an alcoholic voice, and that I know that my addiction voice tells me, um, you know, it, it wants me to feel shame, it wants me to feel badly, it wants me to feel like I'm the only one. And so even if I'm just calling somebody who says, you know, I love you and you're strong and you can do this, I mean, it's a counterbalance to the things that my disease is telling me, even if I'm not aware of it. It's like a very subtle tape that plays in my head, and, and I, you need somebody else to break that tape for you. Yeah, and, and and sometimes you almost absolutely have to do the opposite of what you want to do, yes. what you think feels right in, in the moment of vulnerability and being in warped or entrapped, entrenched in your in the disease. You know, if it's saying you can have a drink, you'll be fine. Obviously, you want to do the opposite. Well, just like when you're having a moment of panic and anxiety, and um, you you want to medicate yourself. Well, you just I mean, for me, I I want to isolate. I want to do mm-hmm. what I want to do on my own, and then reach out to that person. But what I've learned is that you got to just do the opposite. Reach out, even if you don't know what your, what your, uh, <laughs> my only motive is just to stay sober. That's all. Yeah. And and whoever I call, I want them to tell me, just stay sober. Just, you know, and, and we, that there is a community of that. So um, that's, that's, I guess that's the thing I'm trying to say is, is, pretty much do the opposite of what you, your disease is telling you. 
I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, it's something I've that I practice someone, in treatment too. Sorry, go ahead, Mana. I've heard someone say, like, you know, dismiss, always dismiss your first thought, and um, you know, just automatically, just like your first thought is wrong, and uh, which it, it is very true, especially when we're reacting to something. You know, maybe not in general, but when we're reacting to something, our first reaction is usually the the worst and the wrong reaction, and so just you know. Waiting, actually, I have to say, my my favorite thing that I learned in recovery, like everything, and it applies throughout everything in my life, is the ability to pause. Yeah. And yeah. And, and just yeah. it, it's just so huge to everything, you know, because it, you, know, you know when it, we it's it's amazing because like how and that's another thing. It's like pause is a p a w s is a real thing in recovery, and then mm-hmm. but you're saying you know take a pause like just P A U S A. yeah it's, yeah it's just like you know and, and and that's what i've started to find all these little meaningful um little signs in recovery too you know i'm, I'm mm-hmm. sorry i didn't mean to cut you off i just oh no not at um, all and it's funny you say yeah. that you know understanding pause p-a-w-s uh-huh. Um, so I guess it's my two of my favorite things because that saved my ass in early recovery because I thought I was going batshit crazy, really. <laughs> um, you know, with the pause. <laughs> and for those of you who haven't, we, have we, did, a, we did a couple of shows on that. It stands for post-acute withdrawal syndrome, and it can be, mm-hmm. you know, mental side effects of getting sober that can last up to a year, sometimes more. Um, that can make you feel like you're going out of your tiny mind when it's basically you're just your brain is rewiring itself, its pleasure centers, its ability to reason, everything is getting rewired and it takes time. And if there's one thing that alcoholics and addicts don't like, it's it's you know I always say instant gratification takes too long. I mean the idea of oh my gosh, yeah. waiting for anything. A friend of mine used to say doing nothing is doing something. You know, for me, it yeah. is just to stand down, to stand down, Ellie. I tell myself that all the time. I feel like getting a tattoo that says that or something that, you know, if I'm Definitely. not sure what the right thing to do is, stand down. It applies to when I interact with my kids, my soon-to-be ex-husband, all the different things in my life that make me so reactive. And it makes sense that that's a huge behavioral change for us because when we had a bad feeling before, we had this magic elixir that we would use to just change the way we felt feel bad oh, yeah. have a drink changes the way you feel so to to allow ourselves the the freedom to just let the emotion come and flow through us and and pass by give us an emotional distance from that reactive emotion it's it's huge progress to learn a skill as to how to do that because i want to fix everything right now i don't want to wait <laughs> i want to know how it's all going to turn out and that's very hard to let go of, to let go of, you know, do my best and let go of the outcome. And sometimes my best is to just stand down. It's very hard. And and it is, it is. And I'm, I'm such a, um, I tend to overshare and I tend to um, self-incriminate. You know, I say way too much. And I tell my whole story to people that I should not even be telling anything to. And, um, Sometimes I feel like it's a fault and also sometimes I feel like it's a gift because you know what you're going to get out of me. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, I don't know where this ties into what, with what I was just... Um, mm. It's, it's. Uh, I guess, I guess dealing with, like, family members that aren't in Al-Anon or... Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Um, 
you know, that's that's okay. trying to like trying to explain to them, well, look, this is what I'm going through, like with the pause thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I with during my longest sobriety, I have tried to explain that, and it just sounded like an excuse. It just sounded like. <laughs> like they well, were that, fed up from what I was before, and it must be because you're back on the track to self destruction or yeah, um, I think that's another reason why recovery communities are so important because you know we do a lot of damage when we're active, and you know if I'm only surrounded by people who are saying, "How could you and why did you and what do you mean and you know I don't believe a word mm-hmm. you say anymore if I'm only surrounded by that when I'm doing my best to get sober, I will fail. Because I'll start yeah, to listen yeah. to them and say, "What's the point?" I mean, but if I have a place that I can go, and people can say, "I understand that. I understand pause. I understand why you're having a hard time sitting with a feeling." I, you know, because we we metabolize the world differently than other people do, and you know, drinking is a, just a, is a byproduct of the way that we process the world. And so, in sobriety, we're learning how to process the world. You know, we pretty much our default setting is the same, but we're using new methods, new reactive methods to deal with things that used to set us off. And you say that to somebody who's never had a problem with addiction and they do not know what you're talking about. They think it's just an alcohol right. problem. And we know it's yeah. bigger than that. We know there's so much more yeah. to it than that. It's, it's a and again with the stigma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, yeah. How, how have you handled that in terms of family and friends and the and the whole the whole stigma topic? I mean, how is it that you have um, communicated um, to people about what you're going through? With, unfortunately, with my family, I have been through I've I've put them through the ringer so many times you know I'm doing mm-hmm. better and then I I fail and they see me drinking and then I say oh actually I don't have a problem it's just you know I can do this and and then I that part of me takes advantage of the fact that they really don't know what it's like to be in recovery you know they um and 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 that's where it's it gets complicated within because I'm taking advantage of the fact they don't know, but yet I want them to know, and I want them to hold mm-hmm. me accountable and say, no, you should not be doing this. Um, but it's the only way that really that I've, well, I've I've really stopped talking to my family. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that, that, that doesn't sound really good, but I, I have really put an arm's length at a lot of my family members. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not proud of it. I'm... Actually, you know, I, I wish I could do better, but I, I do believe that if I stay on the path that I'm in, I do see, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, and that's yeah. communication, and that's being able to communicate to where, you know, they they can start believing me and seeing the action behind it. Right. You know, I've had so to do something really similar. Yeah, point. that's very brave. Um, yeah. I think um, what you made a really good point there um, in that, you know, there's some things that we need to do early in sobriety or not even just early. It could be for years in sobriety. Exactly. But nothing's permanent. You know, you, maybe you, you, know, you, you can't talk to your family right now, but, you know, as times go, as time goes by and things change, nothing's permanent. Nothing, you know, just because you're doing something right now doesn't mean that that's how things will always be. You know, yeah. um, and so, and we we t- we we tend to offalize everything and just say, oh, I'm you know forever. I'm never going to be able to go out again. I'm never going to be able to have fun. I can't talk to my oh family. Oh my gosh, yeah. Life if is miserable. I, if that's and I'm one thing that I could have learned. Oh yeah, 
If that's yeah. one thing I could have learned in the beginning of recovery when I sought it, really. Right. Yeah. That always and never the generalization. I mean, I, I always marvel at the fact that when I'm having a bad feeling, I can convince myself in a heartbeat that I'm always going to feel this bad and nothing is ever going to get any better. <laughs> but if I have a moment of joy or peace, I'm like, oh, well, when's this going to end? You know, I <laughs> If we could have as much faith in in you know our in the good feelings or the feeling you know the progress as we do in the disasters, it, it, this would be a whole lot easier. Yeah, but it's you know I think also go ahead, Amanda. I I was just gonna say I I think what's really helpful with that because um, I've learned to actually laugh at myself when I do this. Like I do, I, I guess I call it like thought watching, like. Uh, I'll, like, see myself going there, like, something will happen, and then all of a sudden I'm spinning it way out of control, and it can be something at work, and then I'm bringing in my boyfriend, I'm bringing in my family, I'm bringing in, you know, this is wrong, this is wrong, and it just spirals, and I'm like, oh, look at you go, look at that, and I just, like, I'm like, all right, cut it out, and I just... Bring it on back. And... (laughs) But uh, it's amazing, like, how we can just, like, just spin things crazy. I think a big piece of this, too, and we've talked about this a lot on the show, is that in order to really dig into recovery, and we talk a lot about self-care and what does that mean and how do you do it, and one of the things I found very confusing was, especially in early recovery, both the first time I got sober and after my relapses, I you know, here I am, I've been so selfish and I've put people through so much in my family and now I'm being told that I have to put myself first in order to stay sober. It just felt very counterintuitive because one of the ways that my disease manifests itself is to sort of put myself at the bottom of the pile, take care of everybody else first, and I feel good when I'm doing that. Uh And so, you know, for instance, when I first got out of treatment, I had to sort of tell, not sort of, I had to tell the people closest to me, I can't see you for a while. I need to take time and figure out who I am and because when I'm around people that I love a lot and who are very influential, I just morph to please them. I can't help it. I didn't I wasn't strong enough to be who I really am in front of people that were very influential over me. And so and they were hurt and they said, Well, I you know, how come? You know, you're getting better, you're not drinking, why do you need this boundary? And I would just sort of say, I, I can't make you understand it. I just need to do this. I respect if it upsets you, and I'm sorry if it does. That's not my intention, and I have faith that with time we'll be able to find a bridge back. And wow. it's starting to happen now. A year into recovery, I'm have, you know, I'm seeing these people again, and I'm talking to them again, and, and nothing really changed or happened. It just I, we, I needed time. I needed time to just be with my own bad self and, and work through some things and not be reacting to other people. Um, and that includes my, ch- my children. On your wow! But were, were that, you able to do this on your own, or did you have, um, you know, someone that was deeper into recovery that helped you do this? Oh, I had a lot of people helping me. I had a wow. sponsor in recovery. I had a really good therapist. I have, you know, a vast recovery network. And so instead of trying to convince the people that couldn't be convinced of how well I was, I just went to the people who understood my disease and set about getting well. And instead of trying to, you know, the, explain the unexplainable. And it's just the truth of when we get sober, our words don't mean a whole lot to the people around us. They don't. And if I'm trying to convince somebody who's super angry with me and I've broken their trust, I'm going to leave that conversation feeling a whole lot worse about myself than I did going in. And so I had to be with people who could support me, and it felt selfish and it felt counterintuitive and it felt wrong, 
but it made me stronger. It made me able to sort of say, you know, I can I can dictate the terms of, of how I interrelate with people and how long I see them and who I see, and I can kind of gain control of my decision-making process instead of running around like a chicken with my head cut off trying to make everything okay. All I had to make yeah. okay was me. That's all I had to do. And it's the thing I hate to do the most. I would much rather take care of you. Thank you very much. Right. Than me. <laughs> and so that's that's the part that's been that's been something I've had to actually put into practice of putting those boundaries up and doing something that feels wrong. It just feels like the thing we're not supposed to do, but in effect, I was told if I didn't do it that I was going to drink again. And so wow. I did. And and that's I think with with women in particular and, and mothers, there's a whole element to being a parent of this is that to put ourselves first and take care of our own needs and make sure that we're not running on empty, we all struggle with that. We all struggle with being able to say, am I healthy and whole? Am I giving myself what I need? Because I can't give to anybody else what I don't give to myself. And that Absolutely. takes a long time. It takes a long time to get there. And to let people be angry. I mean, I just sort of had to let some people just be angry. I couldn't I couldn't make them not angry with me. I had to just give them their time and let them sort through it on their own. And that when they came to me and said, "What what is it that I should do right now? What can I do? I'd say, go take care of yourself. You know, go make sure that you're getting the help that you need because I can't fix it for you. I'm the problem. I can't fix it for you. That that's those are hard conversations to have, but time does heal it. Time does make it better. It always does, as long as I don't drink. But I can I can relate to so much of your story, Raquel, for all of those reasons. These are these are uh, difficult obstacles, and here we are doing them sober and doing them without our anesthesia and our ability to change our mood on a moment's notice. Um, you know, I have a question that I, I like to ask people when we do these the speaker meetings. Like, there are people that are out there that are listening now that are still drinking or struggling or thinking about getting sober. And, you know, what what message would you like them to hear from your story? I mean, things that you have learned through your trials uh, and successes. Uh, what would you tell them? Three magical words. Don't give up. Okay, four. But do not give up. Yeah. Even if... Even if you say, F it, and I can't do this, wake up the next day or wake up 10 minutes later and and just don't give up mm-hmm. because there's always another lesson. And we and, and what I learned is there's 5 million lessons you learn within just not giving up. Yes. <laughs> and and they, they can be powerful. small little miracles, you know, and um, that's what's really helped me. And I love I still, that. I still struggle. I mean, I, I'm still like, oh man, I, I think I got this, and I get, I get time, and and I'm doing well. But at a moment's notice, if you don't keep in check with yourself, and you know, if if you don't keep in check with, like in the beginning, you know, like what's the difference between being um, alcoholic and not drinking, but also not in recovery. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a huge thing, but um, you know, just just sticking with it, whether it's being on the online community or just reaching out to somebody who's also in recovery. Just don't give yeah. up. That's all. Don't give up. That's such a powerful message because I, I, you know, very rarely do we hear somebody who says one morning I'm done. You know, mm-hmm. goes to a meeting or just decides to get help, and then that's it. I have, I have. I don't encourage mistakes for myself, but I have come to learn that lying inside every single 
time I flip, it doesn't even mean that I drink, but just when I, you know, emotionally I'm backsliding or I'm isolating mm-hmm. or I'm not reaching out for help. Inside of each one of those painful moments, there is definitely a little diamond of something that I can learn from it, and I don't have to do it again. And if I do do it again, then I need to change one little thing and just keep going. And that is a really powerful message in your story, Raquel. It really yeah, is. I, that, I hope that um, I hope that you know the, that we can take away from from all of us, you know, that are sharing this, whether definitely. it be you know vocally or online or um, yeah. Even just listening to the bubble hour, that's a start. Yeah. <laughs> if you're here oh, and you're the listening. the bubble hour is awesome. That, that's that's something that, you know. The first 30 days, that every day, <laughs> going oh, on my walk, <laughs> even when I didn't want to. It, 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 and it, it is. It's like, okay, I, I wasn't able to get a ride or I didn't want to get a ride to a meeting, but I was able to, for some reason, just hearing about just shutting up and mm-hmm. listening to the message behind every episode or, or just listening to somebody in recovery, that that in itself is, you know, is uh, helpful, I think. Yeah. That's a huge it, gets, help. it gets us out of ourselves. That's really mm-hmm. the key to a lot of it. Get out, get out of your own brain. It's a bad neighborhood. You don't want to spend too much time there. Absolutely. So I have a, I, this is kind of an odd question, but I just wanted, I'm trying to think of the right way to ask it. Like, how do you find, we talked a little bit tonight about, like, the, our inner dialogues and the way that we talk to ourselves and the way that we, what is different about your, you know, your sort of your inner tape to yourself now that you're in recovery and working towards recovery than it was when you were stuck in active addiction? How do you talk to yourself in a different way? Are you more forgiving on yourself? Are you at least aware of when it is that your inner dialogue is starting to slip towards shame? And is that something that's changed for you? Um, it, you know, I, I get so triggered easily. Even after all this time, I still get um, triggers, and, and they come within feeling. And for some reason, I'm so much more sensitive to negative feelings than mild or good feelings. So um, if anything starts to come up and I, I start to feel, I can, I get that, there's that feeling that starts to come up and it doesn't feel good. That's when I either say the serenity prayer or um, just type in something, you know, hey, look, mm-hmm. I need to check in or um, reach out. That's that's all it is. Actually, this whole thing is just reaching out, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really feel like we cannot do this alone. <laughs> There's no part of especially the early recovery process, um, there's no way you, there's no way that I can, I'm, I'm speaking like my own experience, but where I could sit through something and, and think through it myself. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Because It makes perfect sense to me. My, yeah. my thoughts, I can't even believe my thoughts because when I do think on my own, it, it leads to something destructive and not what I'm happy about. So, um, yeah. I think just reaching out is the biggest thing. Um mm-hmm. you know, granted you want to reach out to somebody that you trust and that you know is in the um in recovery too, but um I think that's the most important thing. And that's what I love about the recovery community is there's so many of us. There's so many of us. There's not like you can't say, Well, I'm in recovery but there's nobody I can call. Because I've tried right. that and it's right. not true. It's not true. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Well, I think I'm finally at the point where even if there was some magical way I could do this on my own, I wouldn't want to because I'm miserable when I'm on my own. I mean, I'm going through a divorce, and there I can go through two or three days where I just want to sit in my junk, and I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want anyone to tell me to feel better. Mm-hmm. I just want to, you know, wallow in it. And, you know, the only one who suffers when I do that is me. You know, right. and I and I go to a meeting or I call a friend or I talk to somebody who's been through it, and all of a sudden I don't I don't have that horrible knot in my stomach anymore because it's this is all about community and identification and bringing people in who can you know just love you where you're at. It's the anti-perfectionism. It's just we we embrace each other's vulnerabilities and that you just don't find that in in the real world. Absolutely. Just, and even can't. if you do need a minute, you know to. Because it took me a long time to realize, you know, that I can reach out and I don't have to listen to myself. But journaling, too, has been a huge mm-hmm. part of this. Um, and it's it's almost like just getting out of your head just when when you have those negative feelings coming up. I mean, I, I take scrap pieces. If I'm at work and I, I feel a certain or potential um, trigger or danger because I'm jealous, um, hungry or angry or you know uh, just li- the little things and I know they don't mean much but to us alcoholics it means a lot yeah <laughs> it's yeah. magnified it does um, yeah so I have a little a bunch of little post-it notes and God forbid if anybody sees them um, <laughs> I, you know I, I try to throw them away when I can but I you know I have some things that crazy but they don't they're usually like my handwriting gets all chicken scratchy so nobody can really tell what I'm writing. The cool but thing just about get it out. That's journaling it, just get too it out. is you, you can look back, you know, you can I can look back on some of the journaling that I did, especially when I was in treatment. Oh my God, I mean I just thought my whole life was over forever. And I can look at, and I can look and be like, Okay, you know, I've I've there's been progress here. I don't feel like that anymore. I have new things, but not the same things. You know, I'm I've made because, you know, recovery is progressive and there is an arc to it and it can, it can be hard to sort of look at our milestones and realize that we are getting healthier. And some people use what they call a God box or a thought box where you can write down something that's troubling you that you think you're never going to find your way out of and you put it in a box and then you can look at it six months later and you're like, wow, that turned out okay. You know, I don't, I'm glad I didn't drink over that because, right. you know, these yeah. these are ways of benchmarking our successes because we're really oh, good at benchmarking and our when, failures. Yeah. And and that's the thing, like just um, getting our self esteem back, you know, and yeah. and the the way to get that back is do esteemable things, and that's one of them. I think is to be able to jot down something that you're proud of. Even what is that? You said do yeah. esteemable things. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I've never heard that before. And and that's um, somebody that I you know looked up to in in recovery and. Unfortunately, he passed away, but he, you know, you just, you down the road, you meet people that really make a huge impact. Yeah. And that's why I can't stress enough the reaching out and, you know, having your community of um, others that are going through what you're going through, even if it's not the same exact detail like I want it to be, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, the feelings are usually yeah. the same. Yeah. Well, we're coming as quickly as it usually comes, at least for us on the phone. I mean, it really, it's been so amazing to hear you, Raquel. I love you. In, in the file of Thank do you. esteemable things, being a guest on the Bubble Hour should go right in your esteemable file. That was, we're really, <laughs> yeah. really grateful for, for you being on the show. And, and you may have just summed this up a little bit, but I'm going to ask again anyway, because at the end of the show, we do like to go 
around and ask everybody a key takeaway or a thought that they want to underscore or something that they want to leave the listeners with. And Raquel, is there anything else that you wanted to add or something that you wanted to sum up for the listeners um, tonight? Just a shout out to, um, you know, don't give up and reach out when you're in a vulnerable position, which we often find ourselves more often than not, especially in early recovery. Do not awesome. give up. Love Do it. Not give oh. up. Yeah. Awesome. I'd love it. Well, Amanda, what about you? Well, thank you, Raquel. You've been it's been great thank hearing you, you and I've I've really um really enjoyed hearing you share and I've learned a lot from you. And um oh my brain. Um I just had something <laughs> Just say, oh, one of the things that I loved is that, you know, um, how you talk about, you know, just being willing and to change things up, try different things. You know, one thing's not working, try something else and take it all in. And I know, you know, for me, just, you know, that has helped me a lot too, just, you know, being willing to try different things. You know, you have the online community, you have in real life community, you listen to the bubble hour, just doing whatever it takes. Um, mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. And your life will continue to get better. So thank you. No, no thank and you guys so much. Amanda, you stole mine, but it was the same idea of one of the, I just I love the parts of your story where you just you talk about doing things even if you don't want to or taking the op you know, the the counterintuitive reaction if you don't feel like reaching out, reach out and you know, we're so good at cataloging our failures or thinking that we're not doing it the right way or we could be doing it better. But when I listen to your story, I do hear somebody who didn't give up and who doesn't give up and who did things that made her uncomfortable. I mean, that that really is the key to everything is the willingness, as Amanda said, and, you know, starting to, to not fear the vulnerability as much as we used to because in that vulnerability is just so many awesome rewards and you are a living example of that. So... I just I think your share is amazing, and you're and uh, you embody the message you. that you send to our listeners of don't give up, and I think that's just incredible. It's really cool. And we have reached the end of our hour, so as we close the show tonight, we'd like to direct you to our parent organization, ShiningStrong.org. There you <clears throat> excuse me. There you will find links to all of our resources, including the Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now, and other initiatives around recovery advocacy. Visit the Bubble Hour's website at thebubblehour.com to find a link to many recovery resources, including Jean's blog, Unpickled, and my blog, One Crafty Mother. Our email address is thebubblehour at gmail.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Please let us know your feedback about tonight's show and any other topic suggestions you may have. And we thank all of you for listening to the Bubble Hour, and again to Raquel for being our guest tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me so much. Thank you. I hope you guys all have a great evening. Thank you, Raquel. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.